I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello. Welcome back to Chase Thomas Podcast. Taping this on a Wednesday night where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Many forget Jordan Seaton, five-star offensive tackle, shocking everybody, popping into Knoxville for South Carolina, Tennessee. Daniel Hill in the building for it. Am I buying back in and the, the Vols recruiting is back? Many are saying it's back. Um, Bennett Warren, Jordan Seaton in the same class. Jordan Ross, let's get Cam Franklin back in here. Where's Cam Fountain? Let's let's get Cam Fountain. Can can Jordan Seaton pick up Cam Fountain on the way to to Knoxville? Who says no? Oh man, Rocky Top Insider Ryan Shumpert is here. I am. We are so back, Ryan Shumpert. You have an unbelievable ability to just get me laughing like immediately, and I think you know it's twofold this week. It's just a classic. You riding the recruiting roller coaster, which is always fun <laughs> to to watch. But I think what really gets me is what you have 
dubbed. We have what you have dubbed the biggest game in the Josh High player Saturday. Yes. And the lead into the podcast was was talking about <laughs> the recruits. The recruits coming to visit in early October. And that's why I love the Chase Thomas podcast experience. That right there is just fantastic. Nothing fantastic else matters. Yeah. Like I would look at hype on the eye and be like, where's seating at? He's like, we just beat South Carolina 45-24. What's it look like? Is he taking any more OVs? Is he in the building? Lock it down. Lock it down. Oh, man. I'm going to start crying. We have started <laughs> talking about, about the real stuff. I know. it's It, it really is. When you're really invested in the, the recruiting world, it's hard to, to leave it. When you're just so wrapped up and you spend so much time uh, researching and knowing. Like, just the amount of useless... Uh, like, I know where everybody is. Like, I know where Wingo is this weekend. It's just... You're like, what Where's are you Wingo doing? at this weekend? Uh, he's at Colorado. Okay. I didn't even know the buffs had entered the scene there. Yeah. They're, I, I don't know if they're... They're still, like, 61 or something in the recruiting model, so, like... Let's pump the brakes a little bit too. And quietly, Washington, not recruiting well at all under Kalen DeBoer. Like, great offense, great. They've hit the portal really well. But, like, a lot of these four and uh, five star Jimmy Lake guys and Chris Peterson guys are at the tail end yeah. here. So, I'd, I'm very curious to see what that uh, looks like because they've, I mean, arguably been the best team in college football to start this year. And they kind of remind me a lot of what Tennessee was uh, a year ago. But I, I don't know. Like, the. I'm not sure if they're going to recruit at the same level as uh, the previous staffs have, but maybe the Big Ten will help a little bit. But I don't know. See, this is what we're doing. Like it's South Carolina week, and I'm just like, I don't know. There's some uh, there. The recruiting trail in Washington is, but that's that's me. It's what I'm uh, I'm in on, and I'm like, ooh, Jordan Ross is shut down, right? Like Jordan Ross isn't poking around. Like Jordan Ross is locked and loaded. Like Vestavia Hills laden. Is, is he okay? Let's let's check in. But no, like I saw that, and I was like. We're leaving the podcast with Jordan Seaton just canceling his <laughs> OV to uh, Oklahoma this weekend to pop into Knoxville on uh, Saturday. So just when I thought I was out, they bring me back in, Ryan Shumpert. Um, now, though, because we did not, uh, we're not able to tape on Sunday night uh, with the the Tennessee recap show here. Um, we had a little bit extra time to think about uh, Tennessee and what happened against UTSA. Now that you've had nearly five days to uh reassess what happened was it better than you thought what do you feel better about the game as a whole or did it actually feel worse um the more you dove into what actually happened in the game i feel like i had about the same thought which was even as good and this is kind of more macro view uh, of the game as a whole like even as good as the first half was and how you know probably was the best offenses not even probably it was definitely the best tennessee's offenses looked all season it just didn't leave me like having answered any of the questions I have about Tennessee's offense. You know what I mean? Like it's sure a good sign from an execution standpoint and the, the Tennessee getting better standpoint that they could go out there and, and it wasn't even a complete game, but at least a complete half and could go dominate the way we knew they were capable of dominating a team like UTSA by running the football and by throwing a lot of short passes and RPOs and screen passes and then taking a couple shots down the field. But just the, overwhelming questions I have about Tennessee's offense, which is how do you navigate in the Southeastern Conference throwing the ball intermediately very little? You know, they, they didn't really work on that. You know, it's they didn't even – you're not going to attempt to work on it against UTSA. There becomes some skepticism for me that that's really ever going to be part of the offense this year, and mm. at least more than just very limited. And 
that, you know, Josh Up was a really good offensive mind. Uh, you know, you don't say it's impossible to have offensive success without it, but it becomes very curious to see how Tennessee does that and what wrinkles we see from Heupel over the course of the year to try to overcome what looks to be like just a massive, massive limitation in what you can do. Yeah, and I think it's just the lulls where like Tennessee fans are like, oh, it's great. Like it was a big win. They score a certain amount of points. But the thing I keep coming back to is, I mean, look, we'll see whether or not the Joe bag quarter where it's the nine straight intercept or incompletions was due to the knee because he did get buckled and that looked weird. And still something weird is in the air about the Joe injury stuff. Um, and we'll see what he looks like on Saturday. But I don't know. Like it, you should be concerned if he can't run um, and do stuff with his legs like he was able to on Saturday because we've seen what the difference is to this offense when you have a mobile quarterback. And when Joe leads the game with an 80-yard touchdown run, it, it just adds another wrinkle that this offense desperately needs, especially behind an offensive line that's struggled in pass pro as much as it has. The wide receivers have uh, had issues like running the right routes, doing certain things. Like there's just been you need those other freestyling different kind of elements that uh, the quarterback position uh, to this point has been a lead at under Josh Heupel. But I don't know. I think for me, it's like if he has a third quarter like that on Saturday, Tennessee's not winning. Like it's just one of those where so much comes down to like, you can't have that bad of a third quarter in combination with a bad defensive quarter. You can't have the lull in the second quarter like Tennessee had against Florida and win this game. Like you can't have just a full on 15 minutes straight just implosion on both sides of the ball. And I think we won't know for sure if they can get over that until till Saturday. But I feel a lot better about it um than I did uh coming out of UTSA, but I still think fans who are like, "Oh, we're, we're we've solved a lot of it. It's not all on Joe, this that and the other." I'm like, I mean, all that's fair or like, oh, our run defense and is a lot better and the the yards per play and different things like that that we're looking at. Sacks, we lead the SEC in sacks. That's all nice. None of that matters with Spencer Rattler coming in, averaging 14.4 yards per attempt last week against Mississippi State and just bombing uh, the Bulldogs deep. I mean, that's what it really, to me, comes down to on that side, if this is a close game or not, is if he like you are because i think if you're a tennessee fan you're like oh well look we can get home james pierce uh we have uh dude after dude tyler barron's been great we'll get home and we'll cause problems for uh spencer rather against this offensive line great he's had a bad offensive line this whole year and he had a bad offensive line against mississippi state last week and was still bombing like he's getting more comfortable honestly behind a bad offensive line and i think he's been the best quarterback in the conference this, to this point this year that like, okay, then we're looking at, is Danico healthy? If he's not 100%, what does the secondary look like? Um, Gabe, Do you trust Gabe, Judy, Lolly, Brandon Turnage, and Kamal Haddon back there? Or, are you feeling good if Spencer Rattler is bombing the secondary like he did a year ago? Like, I don't know, but I just, I, I'm so curious, but I just, until we see it on Saturday, this is why I've circled, this is the most important game in the Hypel era, because you cannot start 0-2 in sec play you can see how this goes badly from here on out because if you lose this game then suddenly you're like okay well a&m doesn't even without connor wegman that looks um significantly scarier but hypel is undefeated coming out of a bye in his career so that makes you feel one better. Oh, does he have one yeah it's at least Who's one of mb2 someone at ucf but he's undefeated here right yeah yeah 
I mean, it's just, okay. yeah, uh, it's just been two games. But, like, I can't remember what it was that made it in the schedule at UCF, but he had, like, a bunch of buys in seasons. Uh, uh, maybe that was the way the conference championship worked. I don't know. But it's, like, he's, like, 7-2 and two in his career. So, 2-0 and oh, it didn't mm. good, obviously, but it's very consistent numbers on a pretty large sample size at this point, too. Well, there you go. And many are saying 7-2 and two is really 9-0, and oh, depending on how you look at it. And... I just look at um, all of this just coming down to like, okay, you win this, you're looking at five and one going into Bama. You lose this, you're looking at a seven and five type year and real questions, firings have to happen, like a shakeup, like uh, the most amount of heat Hypel's ever had uh, at Tennessee. Yeah. Like you're just, this is a crossroads game in a multi-way. It's a firewall a big, game. This is the firewall game. Do you agree? Yeah. Yes and no. I just think it's so easy, like, every year. Every year where you can say, this is the biggest game in Josh High player because most years have a moment like that. So, mm. when you start looking at it in hindsight, like, I think, theoretically, there were multiple games last year that were bigger. The Alabama game. Heck, the South Carolina game last year. Like, you win that game, make the college football playoff, that would be a hell of a lot more important than Tennessee, where they stand right now. But mm. to your point, I think it's a massive, massive game. It's... For you talk about this Tennessee team specifically, the program as a whole, uh, South Carolina's program as a whole, you're talking about a coaching staff that's also done well and not to the same level of success Tennessee's had, but got there at the same time. Tennessee runs in the recruiting trail, and it's a big game for them too. Like South Carolina needs this. Uh, so, yes, I think it's massive. And I think, largely to your point of kind of what you just said of, you know, seven and five, they lose. It's to me, this game feels like the difference in. Tennessee this year taking a respectable step back. Not the year anybody wanted. Not a horrible year. A year that you look back and say this is very logical. And especially when you talk about the fact that Joe Milton isn't a guy that's taken leaps and bounds and become a, a top-tier SEC quarterback or national quarterback or anything like that, it's like some people hoped or speculated coming into the season. When on the other hand, it you know I don't know if they would make a quarterback change going into the Texas A&M game out of the bye week, but it feels like you're in that mode of, all right, yeah. this, this season's this season's lost, man. Let's try to figure out what we have in Nico and get him as much experience while we start getting ready for next year. So, yeah, I think it's a super important game for Heupel. Uh, it's going to, I think, in a lot of ways define the season and just kind of everything you said, the split in the road and things this year and, you know, things when you're looking at Tennessee's program from a macro standpoint, I think largely will shift in one direction or the other, uh, depending on how this game goes. Yeah. Cause I think you're still in the driver's seat for nine and three, 10 and two at the best. If you win this game, like, I think you're still feeling pretty good about maybe one more guaranteed. You feel better for sure about being on the road at Mizzou and Kentucky. Um, at, if you get this win and get the buy and then beat a and M like there's just, there's a lot of momentum that you can pull from that. It's just the way this schedule has gone uh, for Hypo, but it only gets harder. So you have to, like, you already dropped the Florida game where you're favored. And I think that's the other part of it, too, is you're favored against Florida, the weakest Florida team, and fans were kind of like, all right, you get a mulligan. Like, it's the swamp, it's whatever. Home game, dark mode, just this kind of revenge game. Dark mode? Dark mode. You just, the vibes are going to be high. I, I'll be in the building with my dad Saturday night. Like it's gonna be very old Miss twenty twenty one to me uh, in the feel uh, in this one I think uh, by and large and I think this is also like you just can't you can't start zero and two you can't lose to Napier and uh, 
beamer right out of the gate because you're losing ground. Then you're looking at maybe a fourth place, fifth place finish in the East. Like that's the other part of it. That doesn't matter. It does. When does it end well for coaches when they go, when they fall to the fifth spot in the East in year three? Yeah, no, it's, well when you go seven and five in year three that's yeah. nothing to do with where you finish in the east that doesn't matter no that's what i'm saying like next year no that's what i'm saying if you go seven and five and you finish fifth in the east i'm like and we're talking our off-season pod i'm like yeah it's probably over i don't think hypo is here long term my my point is and you know whatever tiebreakers aren't my name be that people yeah. you go seven and five and finish third in the east finish second in the east it's not true good. it doesn't matter if you finish fifth in the east it's the seven and five that matters. It's not yeah. where you finish in the East that matters besides first. And maybe you want to take some, some moral victory in second or something as a fan, but yeah, yeah. that, that doesn't matter. Especially now that the divisions are done. That's true. Um, do you think this, I was thinking about this all week. Do you think there is a path to Tennessee still losing this game? If Joe Milton has a great game, because I don't think there is. I think if Joe is great, that means everything they scored 30 plus that everything was rolling on the deep balls, the deep shots were hitting. I don't see a path to Tennessee actually losing if Joe Milton has a great game. Do you agree? I think there's a path. It's really slim, but maybe it's maybe it's having fresh on my mind. You know, going back and looking at the game last year today when South Carolina scored touchdowns on nine to ten drives. And look, it's I wrote about it today, and I kind of did a statistical or just kind of in it, to me one of the interesting things about this game is. A lot of the strengths for one team matches up with the weakness or the other. Tennessee's got a good mm-hmm. run offense. South Carolina, uh, questionable run defense. And South Carolina's passing attack, I mean, you talked about it. Spencer Rattler, I'd agree, has been the best quarterback in the SEC to this point in the season. And they've had some really good receiver receivers. And statistically, the numbers say Tennessee's secondary is good. But I think we all know that Tennessee's secondary is, in fact, not good. Uh, mm-hmm. So you look at that, to me, that makes this game really interesting and it just comes down to the fact that I think South Carolina, if Tennessee cannot pressure Spencer Rattler, I think South Carolina's going to score a lot. That's why I don't understand the line in this game. And it kind of goes back to the whole point of looking at me saying the stats, the the num- advanced analytics don't match up with what the eye test says about Tennessee. But Tennessee's played one game. And, you know, they've played one game that's really told us a lot about Tennessee in four games. And, we, you know, that's kind of the beauty of college football in a lot of ways, man. We're – we're thirty three percent of the way through the season, and we know some specific about Tennessee. But I don't think, you know, anyone can say with a ton of confidence that we know what Tennessee as a entire team is right now. Uh, so, with all that being said, I still think Tennessee's defense is better. I think you know some of what you saw against Florida was an anomaly, or the run defense is going to be better. But you know, maybe that is what Tennessee's defense is, and certainly uh, on the reverse end, I don't think Tennessee's pass defense is going to be very good unless. Uh, the pass rush can just be fantastic. So I guess a very long-winded, off-topic, not answer of your question. But yeah, I, I can see Tennessee losing if, if Joe Milton plays really well, just if the defense lays another egg. Because I think South Carolina, I think, is going to come into this game with a game plan very similar to what I see a lot of teams coming in with, against the Tennessee Titans and do. It's like, we're not going to run the ball. Like you can stop the run. Your secondary is not good. So we're just going to mm. have our good quarterback and receivers and take a lot of shots and throw the ball a ton. And Tennessee has been so soft the entire time. Tim Banks and William Martinez has been there from like a secondary standpoint. I think South Carolina is going to be able to get yards and get the ball out quick. 
Uh, and then if Tennessee can get home, there's going to be chunk plays. So, yeah, I could see it. It's probably not likely, uh, but I could see the path to South Carolina just being really, really good on offense and Tennessee losing in a shootout. I was thinking about this too, and I, if it's a shootout, I don't feel good if you're Tennessee. Like, you don't want to get in a shootout, especially with Joe. No. With this great, like, that's not a place you want to be. Um, Absolutely not. It's, it's, the, it's the opposite of last year where, like, yeah. you felt completely confident because the offense was so consistent and and then had so few deficiencies in his game. It was like, you can keep up and score in a multitude of ways. Whereas, I mean, it's just what you said earlier. Tennessee, it's four games in the season. As I just said, three of those games were against terrible teams, and they've had an offensive lull for a quarter in all of those games. Uh, yeah. So if you get in the shootout, it's, it's hard to imagine Tennessee's going to be able to keep up with that fact and its limitations in the passing game we've also talked about. I think if they end up winning the toss, I think they should receive. I think no matter what, Tennessee needs the ball first. I think if they let South Carolina get the ball first, that's a mistake. Is that me overthinking it? But I, you don't want to put this team in a 7-0 hole. You don't want to put this offense in a 7 and seven to nothing hole. Because I think that's yeah. one of those where it takes the air and we're like, oh, here we go. This is because this team just, especially with Joe and this group, it just seems like they are so much better when they're playing from ahead. When they get a good offensive start, and similar to what we saw two years ago when Hinden was first finding his groove, is things were just completely different when they started hot. If they start yeah. that way, then you feel pretty good. Like if you're up 14 3 or whatever after the first quarter and then Josh Heupel era, Tennessee, you feel pretty good. But you're down 10 3 going out of the first uh at home saturday night you i i just i'm leaning over my dad and i'm like this is uh i i I have some worries about where this is headed i think you're misremembering 2021 a little bit what do you mean they were in (laughs) ahead all the time yeah i know exactly like you you said no i'm saying i understand that we were but you needed to get in this rhythm early and you felt so much better yeah, well, like Tennessee within a rhythm every single game, and you also said like, "Ah, oh, we leave fourteen three at the end of one. You feel good." No, that was great. No, was- no, 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 no. But they didn't have the bodies. You didn't have the bodies. But I'm saying that version of the offense and like what you saw last week against UTSA with more bodies matters. Like that's what I'm saying. Is we we saw the first inkling of like what this team could be when they score fast and put it, the amount of pressure it puts on the opposing team when they get in a hole against Tennessee's offense. Yeah, no, no, I agree with what you're saying with the 2023 aspect of it. I mean, it's the thing with coin tosses all the time that it's just like yeah. hit or miss because you get the ball first, you go three and out, South Carolina goes down and scores, and it's that issue's compounded. Uh, but I mean, no, if like, that's I the case, I'm, I might go and sit in line at Petro's for an hour. <laughs> go take a break. But I, I, I think your logic is sound, that it's important for Tennessee to get off to a good start and not dig themselves a hole um in this game and it's it's just funny to say this because tennessee we talked about it the opposite way last year with so many games where it was like tennessee they don't necessarily need to start fast but if they can start fast the other team's not equipped to play from behind well this is just yes. completely flip-flopped and which is not what you think about with the josh heupel team tennessee is equipped to play from ahead and not play from behind and south carolina which you kind of think pro style offense you know possession beamer ball it's not, you know, they're they're built not to play from behind, but it's kind mm-hmm. of flipped this year. Tennessee, South Carolina very much in this game. I like, think. Is do you believe be... this team wins the game if they're down seventeen ten at the half? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's just a such a theoretical hard question to ask, having me not watch the first half. But I, I'll go I'll go with no for the sake of the sake of your point because I, I I generally agree with the logic behind it. 
Yeah, I just I feel like we're gonna know after the first quarter. That's what my gut tells me. Which way? That's what your gut tells you. I mean, your gut's been really good. So, who am I to? And I, like I said, I, I think I called it 100 percent last year. Uh, the the season down to a T. It's a good pun there. The power T. The Tennessee Volunteers. You want to hear another good pun? A little I'm good ready. pun. I've been trying to spread this. Yeah. I don't think you're a huge golf guy, but Ryder Cup uh, okay. this weekend in Rome. Mm. I free marketing for the U.S. Ryder Cup team and mm. the, their social medias. Hashtag win in Rome. W I N. <laughs> Oh wow! You see, you see what I did there. You I did see. What see. I did there. I Ryan, can... hold on, hold on. I can't really see the the. I have a lot of lights going. I can't really hold on, hold on. I can't, I can't really see. Ryan, hold on. I might need to take some lights. the The lights are getting a little too bright. Feels like the playoffs are on the line. What do I do? Do I make the play? Do I catch the ball? Just so uncalled for. This was a good bit. I was ready for that bit, folks. The uh, Chicago Cubs lost to the Braves last night. Ryan <laughs> drove seven hours in total to watch the Cubs uh, lose to the Braves in just very Cubs fashion. Yeah, I mean, the two positives here is I was not <laughs> being I was not being rude when the Cubs built their six nothing lead. That was you know, I wasn't being I wasn't being demonstrative or provoking <laughs> people, Braves fans in my section. Uh, the other piece of good news was like the state of the Cubs bullpen and as good as the Braves are, I was like very prepared for the possibility the Cubs would blow the six nothing lead, but not in that way. <laughs> Certainly not in the way where if I was covering a Maribel Alcoa baseball game and the Maribel mm-hmm. right fielder who I don't know, if, you know, if you're Maribel right fielder, if you're listening out here, no offense to you, I don't, you know, this isn't some jab. The Maribel right fielder drops that ball to lose the game. You're like, wow, that's an unbelievable, unbelievably bad play. Yeah. Instead, it's a instead it's an MLB athlete. Uh, five years. It wasn't as bad as the Texas center fielder this spring. That one's gonna get lost in the archives, but that's an all timer. That's one of the worst ways I can ever imagine someone's season ending. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, that's. People are going to forget I about think, that, but it was unbelievable at the time. And I just, I hope it doesn't get lost in the archives because it was insane. Yeah, it really was. And it had already been like a controversy that whole weekend, like yes. the lighting situation at Stanford, which just the, these are the just obscene, obscure, hilarious, absurd things that, yeah, I assume you probably get them in like international soccer, like European and South American leagues. I don't know. I'm a big soccer fan. I don't know. But besides that, you only get them in college sports. Like you just mm-hmm. only get stuff like that in college sports, and it's it's why it's the most entertaining, best thing in the world. Just because the most absurd thing will happen, and we'll just like just like what had just happened. It's been three months, and I had already forgotten about it until you reminded me. There you go. We've already had four different extremely absurd college sports things happen in the time since. It's true. Cal Stark got a hit at one point. Um. Not baseball. Go, go go on. Go on. Let me tell you. I don't have a comment. I saw that Carson Peebles like uh atop the list, uh, the transfer list for the Vols uh going into next year, and you just feel great. You, you just see it, and I'm just like I was texting the uh, the family group chat where I'm like, you want to talk about like Ryan, this is what this podcast is, South Carolina Game Week. What are we talking about? You know what I'm talking about? The Vols killing it in the transfer portal, and you just start thinking like, oh, we're overthinking who the stars are going to be. And then you look at the number one recruiting class in 2024 for Tennessee. You got Manny Ramirez's son maybe making it on campus. Like, things are really good. 
Like, they're just building this gigantic juggernaut that's just going to be a flamethrower and just the villains of the sport for years over years that like that's where so much emotional energy is for me where it just gets me fired up all over again i'm ready to to just smack the the heck out of everybody in the sec once again because you you see that transfer list and you start thinking about the roster all over again you're like tennessee is gonna make so many people mad next year they're gonna be really also good. The, st- the Lindsay nelson stadium renovations mm-hmm. down the right field line you see, seen this you heard about this yes i have yeah more more positive vibes the vibes, uh, they're, they're the ones. It's also the it's, it's canon. I know you know this too, but just so the listeners don't think yeah. we don't know, it is canon people's. Oh, did I say Carson, Carson people's? people's. Yeah. yeah. There's Carson Jennell. There's Carson Jennell, who's also in this class. Carson Rucker. Yeah. A lot of names. Uh, a lot of just, names. Just people's. Let's go with that. You're just people's yeah. for now on. Billy Amick is a very baseball name. Very big. Very South Carolina. I grew up in South Carolina and I'm a great baseball player yeah. name. He grew up loving Whit Merrifield. Um, you know what else is? I don't know if this is a hater thing. Capital H. Fall fans are going to like this. The thing that scares me the most about the South Carolina game, and just the rest of the season as a whole, is that like I genuinely believe the secondary has never been this bad. And it's the stats aren't there yet. But like everyone who's just talking themselves into the defensive stats at this point, I'm like, I don't know what y'all are watching. But the combination of Elijah Herring in space in the middle linebacker spot and this secondary right now, this is the worst it's ever been. Like, even in year one, you had Elante Taylor. You had some guys. Like, you had some dudes. Heibel's first year was by far the best the secondary has been. And Not even even close. I think this is by far the worst. And we haven't seen the worst of it yet. I don't know if it's by far. I don't don't know. I, I definitely don't think it's by far the worst. I don't think it's that. I mean, who do you like that where, plays? Where, who do you trust that plays? Who, Who's better? Who who did you like? Ca- counter, po- good point. Counterpoint. Who did you like that played last year in Tennessee secondary? <sighs> it's a good. I think. I mean, Danico when he flipped was better, and we haven't gotten a lot of. Yeah, Danico. and if Danico is out there, to your point, there the only hope there is for the secondary being. Just pretty bad is Danico yeah. being out there. It's going to be really bad because certainly Gabe Judy Lawley does not inspire any confidence. Warren Burrell doesn't inspire any confidence. Brandon Turnage, I wouldn't exactly say inspires confidence. I like him more than those two guys. I think he should be playing more. I, I think a lot, personally, I think Elijah Aaron's better playing pat and pass coverage than Jeremy Banks was. Yeah. Now, I know he can't rush the passer the way Jeremy Banks could. Uh, so you could probably say those balance out. But I've actually been, I don't know if impressed is the right word, but I haven't been discouraged by Elijah Herring in pass coverage for a young linebacker. But it just, like, it, he's been thrown to the fire. Less of it's on Elijah, more of it's just on the situation, right? Where it's just trial by fire for him. Yeah. And what I said at the beginning of the year was, like, I like Elijah as the third backer forever like i don't want him ever to be the, the main starting middle linebacker or we have a problem like he's a rotation third like he's like a souped up caleb perry can't do it not in the sec can't do it your ability to look as a, as a hater myself i i have <laughs> tremendous respect for this so i don't want to come off the wrong way but your ability to just 
backhanded comment <laughs> after slight to Elijah Herring just over and over and over and over again. And then to turn around and be like, me? I've never hated on Elijah Herring. What are you talking about? I've never been a negative towards Elijah Herring. I just spent 30 seconds giving him backhanded compliments, but I'm. what are you talking about? That's what you do to Elijah Herring. And as Elijah Herring, I wouldn't even call myself an Elijah Herring stan. I just think your negativity towards Elijah Herring is pushing me in the direction of having to be an Elijah Herring stan, at least when I come on this podcast. He's like Jordan Burns. Jordan Burns should never start <laughs> at Tennessee. <laughs> Jordan Burns is halfway through a senior season of high school. Can we not make declarative statements about what he can and can't do? Get him out here. Jeremy, him Jeremiah Tlander, he pops immediately off the page. Tlander pops. That dude's a tackling machine. He's got some Jeremy Banks to him. I like Jeremiah Tlander. Dude's a dog. Him and Arian Carter should be the, the starters in the two, uh, the two linebacker spots next year. Something went very wrong, if that's not the case. <laughs> the very wrong thing is so overdramatic. The most overdramatic thing I've ever heard in my life. There's nothing wrong with being the third. He's the first no, linebacker off the not, bench. There's not, and I don't. He's even the Jamal Crawford of the Tennessee linebacking unit. Like I think I was about to say fair when you said Jeremiah Tlander and Arian Carter should be the starting linebackers last year. I was about to say fair because you're probably right. Those two probably had the highest ceiling, and then you go and say something has gone horribly, horribly <laughs> wrong. There's been a. You like solemnly walked out of the room and walked back in <laughs> on your phone and then hung up and said, There's been a horrible, horrible tragedy that Elijah Herring has to start, which is just a ridiculous, ridiculous thing to say. I might lead a pod where I'm like, If I see the depth chart and it's not Elijah or Jeremiah T. Lander, we have a problem. Better see an or there. Yeah, I, that's, you know, I think it's a good point. If I'm making my wager here, 11 months into advance, Tennessee's first fall practice depth chart, first depth chart for the season. I'm guessing Arian Carter, one starting linebacker, Elijah Herring, or Jeremiah Thielander, and the other one. Yeah. I also just wonder, like, when you look at the Leo, because we got uh, Caleb Herring, his brother who flashed, and he's going to be a really good player. I'm really excited for him. But, like, the Leo spots, I don't know what this looks like next year. A lot of mouths to feed here. James Pierce getting a yeah. lot. Like, Roman Harrison's there. I don't know what they're going to do because I wonder if one of these guys is out and I don't know if it, maybe it's Joshua Josephs after uh, kind of really not playing to this point. Maybe he starts playing a little bit more uh, in the coming weeks. But I was just thinking about that. You have Chindavian Bradley, who is also not a factor right now. You figure he'll jump back into it. You have Tyree Weatherby. You have Tyree West. Um, Tyler Barron will be gone. I don't know. I was just thinking about like who's coming in and the amount of talent. Jordan Ross will be a true freshman. He'll probably come in in this like I was thinking about the edge spot and just the the Leo spot and where they were going to be at the defensive line. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe they're going to make somebody go defensive tackle. Like, sorry, somebody's moving inside with hops. Like, I don't know who it is, but one of you guys are moving inside and you're adding some weight because I don't know how this works. No, I agree with that completely. Like, I think you're just going to see like a trickle down. Like they have so many Leos. Question is who? Because so many of them are young and just have right. that classic Leo build that like can't really slide to just like the strong side DM spot easily. But yeah. Tennessee loses Dominic Bailey, they lose Tyler Barron there. I mean, that is where Weathersby and Tyree West have been playing. So you have some bodies. Um, but you heard Ronnie Otter talk about it this week how Davian Hobbs like has had to move to defense tackle. Their original plan was for him to be a strong side defensive end. And Tennessee has has ex- they've recruited the edge spots really both of them DN, particularly Leo DN too really really well 
they haven't recruited defensive tackle great. So I just think you're just going to naturally almost see you're going to need more guys at defensive tackle, which I think is going to lead to some of those strong side ends, like you saying, someone having to make the adjustment. Weathersby would probably be my guess. Like I just think he probably has to build for it more than anybody else. Um, and then with the number of bodies you have at Leo mixed with what you do, from an experienced snap standpoint, you do lose it in. I think you're probably going to see – again, I don't know who. It's not like a – we're probably making it more simplistic than it actually is because all these body types and stuff like that. But it, it does feel like someone has to – you know, put on the weight and move to the end like Tyler Barron did, you know, his freshman to sophomore year. Yeah. I'm I'm curious how that goes. Um Ryan, the biggest matchup to watch that will decide Tennessee South Carolina on Saturday will be what? Tennessee's pass rush against South Carolina's offensive line. It's it goes back to what we were just talking about and you were talking about with the Tennessee secondary is really bad. Like that's just a reality. And Spencer Rattler is good. And Spencer, South Carolina has good receivers. Uh, even with Juice out uh, for this one, Tennessee should be counting their blessings that he can't go. Um, but even then, that's a huge mismatch. So Tennessee's got to make that up somewhere. And it's this pass rush that has been promising against lesser opponents this season, and really was not very good at Florida. But again, Florida got to put you know, so many quick quick passes and by the second half they were playing so conservatively that it you know it's that sample size from Tennessee's pass rush to that Florida game was really really small uh certainly I mean Tennessee's pass rush genuinely uh, this might not even be an exaggeration there might be three times more obvious pass rush pin your ears back and go after the quarterback situation this Saturday than they had the Florida game so it's can those guys be significantly better can they look like they have against UTSA and Virginia and Austin P or at least closer to that than what they looked like in those opportunities they had against Florida. Um, so to me, yeah, that's, that's the story of the game. Uh, to me, it's a no, no doubter. I like it. Um, final thing here before we wrap up through four weeks, what are you certain about with this team, Ryan? And what is your new win loss prediction for Tennessee going into the South Carolina game? Certain about Joe Milton has some limitations, just has a lot of limitations that are going to keep Tennessee from being elite offensively. But I'll turn around at the same time and say, to this point, Tennessee's had offense problems a lot bigger than Joe Milton. And it's not as simple as put Nico in and it's going to be way better. Um, you know, it's hard for me on the Nico debate as a whole. I don't know. I don't know what Tennessee has in Nico right now. So it's not, I'm not going to be banging the drum for it being way Can better. Can I say one way thing worse. I think they have with Nico? They don't have a Joe. The, the pocket presence, the ability to get out of the pocket. Completely agree with that, if that is the point. That's one of them, and I think we'll see a touchdown on the run from Nico. I think it'll be... We'll, we'll see a touchdown out of structure for Nico. That might happen. This season? Like, if he plays? Yeah. or Oh, okay. yeah. But I mean, in general, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, And I actually do have a point to go back to, because you touched on it earlier, and I didn't get around to it. Um. But yeah, no, that's what I believe about Tennessee is that Joe Milton has some serious limitations that Tennessee's going to have to work through if he's a starting quarterback, but he's not the only issue in the offense right now. Far from it, honestly. Um, and then record prediction, uh, this is a tough one because I just, I don't know what, how I'm going to pick Tennessee South Carolina yet. I, mm. I do not get the 12-point spread. I'm a huge believer. I was personally leaning towards picking South Carolina until I saw the 12-point point spread, and I'm a huge believer in Vegas knows what they're doing, so that has made me second thought. Yeah, I guess I would lean towards Tennessee winning largely because of how big that spread is. And just, I think Neil would be a great atmosphere and Tennessee has played a lot better at home, uh, both this year and Heupel's two, two years and change. So 
uh, with that being said, I'll say I'll say eight and four. Um, yeah. Oof. I think. I think they're going ten and two. <laughs> I think they win this game. I think they actually win it pretty big. I actually think they bury him. It goes really well for Tennessee. I'm going to say Tennessee 45-24. You go into the bye. I think you come out of the bye. You're even healthier. Cooper actually ends up being a bigger difference maker than people think. Um, In this group, I think Samson plays a lot more. I think Jabari's role continues to get reduced to goal line TDs. I think that makes a big difference. I think Tennessee is going to have to be comfortable. It just it has to be Jalen and Dylan, just the majority of these snaps going forward. I have, I have no confidence in that happening. By the way, I think you have to. There's just no way around it. At this no, point. I I agree. That's what should happen. But I have like no it's a fireball offense. Like it's happening. Muster bottles are going on the field. Like it's one of those. You the, there's no there's <laughs> no there's no way around it. God do it. Not a fireball offense, but I agree. What I what realistically, what could actually happen? I have no idea what the deal. You know, I worry about Jalen Wright. Certainly, they've talked positive about it, but like, I worry about Jalen Wright and Ramel Keaton. No insider information. Disclaimer: No insider information. Yeah. Pure speculation. From I'm sorry. What part of Rocky Top insider. insider am I missing here, Ryan? <laughs> you got me on that one. Um, <laughs> but I, I worry about Ramel Keaton and Jalen Wright playing. So to that point, if Jalen Wright doesn't play. And goes off. Yeah. That's the only scenario. That's the scenario where I see most likely to them like doing what you're saying and severely uh, decreasing Jabari's small touches. They just like him too much. I don't care. Like, I'm sorry. The point of this sport is to win football games. The point is to scare the defenses. The point is to put the guy with the highest yards per carry in as many snaps as humanly possible. The one who is the hardest to tackle in open space, the one who has the best vision. I think to this point in open space is Dylan Sampson. Like there's just, I don't care. I don't care about the veteran stuff. I don't care. You have to start making some hard choices here. Like, I don't care that Stop Warren Burrell's been me. here. I, I agree. I like agree. Warren Burrell's been here 19 years. We don't have to keep doing this. You can't tell me Ricky Gibson getting more snaps is worse than what we're seeing from Kamal Haddon. Like you can't tell me like this whole thing with the freshman stuff. It's like, go look around the country. Look around different. Caleb Downs is right now starting at the safety spot for Alabama. You have Malachi Stark started as a free safety for Georgia last year. I understand those are five stars and like those are rare you can start like it, there is nothing wrong with putting some of these freshmen out there to learn, get experience on the fly. It's a little bit different with the quarterback. I understand. But what I'm saying is like, in terms of this kind of stuff, like you have to start throwing bodies. Cause like when the, but like, it's one thing to say we're going with the vets because they're playing well. And we're not just going to do put somebody else in here because uh, they're a higher rank freshman and they're this, that, and the other, but like, they're not playing well. Like Jabari small, we respect what he's done here. Like he's a solid back, good in pass pro, but like, you have to at a certain point we're now in the thick of things your season's on the line here like you cannot start 0-2 in sec play you can't lose back-to-back games against your rivals that you were favored in both you can't do it so if that means jabari small has to get his carries significantly reduced because you need to put more pressure on the defense because dylan or jabari or jalen are on the field at all times for tennessee's offense so be it but that's the point when you don't have Hendon Hooker back there, you don't have that luxury of Jabari small being next to Hendon Hooker all the time because Hendon Hooker could do so much more and cover up some of those weaknesses. 
Joe cannot afford to be on this field and be the leader of this offense without the best playmakers on the field around him at all times. You have He is a quarterback like the Mac Jones mold where you need the best possible weapons around him at all times for this to flourish and work on all cylinders. You cannot have a Jabari Small, unfortunately, still be that guy. You need Ethan Davis getting more opportunities at tight end now that he looks to be healthy. Like if he's back, you need to have him going out for routes because of what he could do offensively. You need more on Jacob Bourne. You need to force feed Brew McCoy more. You need to do, like, if Romel can't go, like, look at Caleb Bub. Caleb Bub popped a little bit. Like, maybe Caleb Bub deserves some more opportunities, some more looks. The whole point now, it's go time. It's gut check time. You cannot be doing this stuff. Like, this is silly. You're playing Arian Carter a bunch at linebacker now. Look, this is part of the deal. Devin Hobbs is having to play a lot as a true freshman. That's part of the deal. Like, you're having you have to make these tough calls because they're just better players. Like Dylan Sampson has to play more. No, no, I just, no, 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 no. Won't allow it. That's out of here. Get this guy out of here. If that's uh that's the case on Saturday. Again, I, I agree with that. I agree with the fact that his Jabari Smalls carry should be reduced and Dylan Sampson should get a lot more. My point is just, I'm skeptical of that happening. I will say disrespectful of you in that <laughs> thing to compare Jabari Small to Tennessee secondary. Mm. This situation is much different. Where the young is guys he not are the Jalen McCall of the offense? Is he not the Jalen McCall is... of the offense? Jalen McCall's been no, okay. He's, not. he's fine. You know what you got in him? He's not giving up big you're gonna, plays. You're gonna sit here and compare how Jabari Small has been as a football player at the University of Tennessee and his product productivity level and his skill level to Jalen I'm saying McCullough. this year. I'm saying is this that, year right now. I'm only going this year to this point. Well, Jalen McCall has been better. It's not as yes. obscene. It's not yes. as obscene. Jabari Small still has been better than yeah. Jalen McCall in this comparison. Uh, definitively, no doubt. It's not, it's not me having to end this podcast and you just <laughs> wrap it up by yourself because of how ludicrous the take is. Uh, mm. But Jamari Small shouldn't be. Jamari Small is a good running back. There's just he's probably two best, at least two out of their three best offensive playmakers are other running backs on the roster. So yeah. those guys are young and they're proven. They've proven it. Whereas in the secondary, they just refuse to give the young guys any sort of chance when the veterans are not good. Like Jamari Small is a good running back. Tennessee secondary has not been good. So it's, it's I agree with your point, but that's to me that's and then the other thing too here. I understand the Mincy stuff's annoying. Mincy needs to be starting right tackle. I don't care. I don't care yep. as long. Like I yep. just don't care. It's just you're hurting the team. Like I, he's just better. Off. That, yes. That's. I'm. I'm with you. Like that's what you were saying in your ten and two. Your mind going, you know, one way to one day, the next way to the other way, the next day. If Cooper Mays makes a huge difference, it's just like. Get Cooper Mays back. Move Ollie Lane to left guard. Yeah. Do not play Andres Carrick. Play Gerald Mincy. Do not play Jeremiah Crawford. Like, I get last year, it was yeah. pretty comparable between those two guys at left tackle. Like, there was not a huge gap. It's not comparable a little bit this better. Year. We've it's seen not it. comparable at all. The eye test, the analytics, they all bear out the same thing, which is that Jeremiah Crawford has been one of the worst players on the field for the moment yes. he's been on there this season. And Mincy, not that he's perfect, but he's been much better. So I'm with yeah. them. They need to. They need to get get to their five and roll. And their with best that five is Campbell, Holly, Cooper, Sprags, and Mincy. That's the best five. Yep. Yep. Completely agree. 
I think that's the other thing too, and we'll end here, is I think Cooper being back will be huge. My gut tells me the tempo will be better. The I think checks will be better. I think comfortability will be better. My gut tells me that that sneaky makes a bigger difference. And Mincy, I think, will end up playing a lot more. I just think the offensive line is going to have a, the best showing of the year this this Saturday. Yeah, it, cer- it certainly could. I mean, they, I mean, they need it. It's, it's again, the Dolphins line is probably the most dramatic example of what I was saying earlier about it's how hard to know because Tennessee's played one game. Like, you know, I get that UTSA and Austin P and Virginia aren't very good, but like, still, like the offensive line in those games, if I hadn't seen the Florida game, would have been better than I expected. Not radically better, not like perfect, not without their flaws. It's just that the Florida game was so abhorrent that it's it's hard to it's hard to truly know how much of it's like ah this is just what they are when they play a real good sec front versus you know kind of what you said earlier about all right one game place is cursed didn't handle the crowd noise well you know all that kind of good stuff down you know down to what we just said or two we believe two or three best offensive linemen or two or five best offensive linemen yeah ryan shepard what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at rocky top insider this week yeah, plenty of stuff uh, on the Tennessee football front, previewing the South Carolina game. So we'll have got all our weekly coverage, uh, two pieces today. I kind of hinted at both of them actually. One, talking about how, you know, Tennessee's company line this week, that they're not getting an extra motivation from the South Carolina game. Kind of looking at that, why that's probably smart from the macro level of looking at game week. But, you know, I'm not going to be surprised at all if, that's used as motivation on Saturday in the locker room and stuff like that. And then, like I said, kind of a breakdown that the interesting part of this matchup where a lot of Tennessee's strengths will match up with South Carolina's weaknesses and a lot of South Carolina's strengths will match up with Tennessee's weaknesses. And to me, that creates a fascinating coaching dynamic of who can minimize those, you know, downsides and can exploit the other team's weaknesses. So all that tons of stuff on the football boat and any Tennessee basketball sickos out there, right? Wrote about 2,000 words uh, on what, to me, one of the biggest questions for Tennessee as they get practice started this week and for the season and set out. I've done it every year. I've covered the team, uh, and it's usually pretty long. I set out to make this one shorter, and then I'd written two bullet points, and I'd gotten into philosophical Rick Barnes questions and offensive questions and all that good stuff, and it wasn't going to be short. So uh, any real fanatics out there for Tennessee basketball, go give that, give that a read. There you go. Ryan Shepard, always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program, and if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.